Welcome to the Hills Baptist Podcast. We're so glad you're joining us as we see Jesus glorified, lives transformed, and hope revealed in the Adelaide Hills and beyond. We hope you enjoy this message. We are in the book of Nehemiah. If you're visiting us today, welcome. We love you. It's great to have you with us. Um, So exciting. You've missed out on a couple of weeks. We're in chapter three. If you are are a part of this church family, but for some reason you haven't been around, don't stress. I'm gonna just get us all on the same page very, very quickly. And you will see as you look at the table today, we have Lego. And yes, I said Lego. (laughs) Because I am South Australian. And I know that we've got people in the room and especially people listening online. I've got friends who listen, they're constantly on about this. Yes, this is not a leg, it's a leg, but it's Lego. Who's with me? It's Lego. Preach, come on now. <laughs> Who's against me? Who says Lego? <laughs> All right, we'll have a battle after. We'll have a war over it. But we're here with Lego, that's what I'm gonna call it. Uh, It's the same way sometimes I say appreciate instead of appreciate, just deal with it. Okay, so we've got the Lego setup. Now all of this is to help paint the picture. All of this is to help bring us into an understanding of where we're at. So we're in Nehemiah. Now Nehemiah, what do we need to know? This is Nehemiah right here. Steve, if you can zoom in. Now you're gonna, this will be up on the screen for you people at the back who can't see. You can come over here a little bit if you want to there, Dylan. So we've got Nehemiah. Now, Nehemiah is a character. He's a, he's a Jewish man. He's living in Persia and it's around 445 BC, right? So it's a long time ago. Nehemiah is in a role. He's cupbearer to the king, which effectively means he's King Artaxerxes, the king of Persia. He's his chief of staff. Okay, so he's in a cushy job. He's living in uh, this beautiful city, 445 BC. But Nehemiah is a Jew. So Nehemiah's heart is for his homeland and his homeland is Jerusalem. And about 170 years earlier, Jerusalem was this incredible thriving city of God. Right, And a part of a thriving city, any city uh, that has success, that has economy, that has a great population, any thriving city in the ancient world had walls that surrounded them. Now, here's why we're using Lego today. Because I want you to get a picture of, of the significance of this wall. This is not a Stratco fence, Okay. Now, my original plan, and God bless our beautiful team, because I have these ideas and they all look at me and they're like, that's a great idea. But deep down, they're probably thinking, no, my original idea was to fill this whole thing with like big sandstone rocks. And I think they just pray and ask the Lord to speak because over the course of the week, it became increasingly clear that that's gonna be extremely expensive and very hard to do to fill this place with rocks. So Lego was our second option, but it's gonna be beautiful. Now, These walls of Jerusalem, when Jerusalem was thriving, pre-586 BC, the wall of Jerusalem, I want you to picture this, it's 12 metres high. Just look up for a second. That's about 12 metres. This wall is 12 metres high. This wall is 
between, in various places, between four metres thick to eight metres thick. All right? This wall is four kilometres long in its surround. So context, here's Nehemiah, here's the wall. That's what it looks like in terms of height. So this is a two scale, this minifig scale, all you Lego Masters fans out there. This is to scale. It could, if we turn it on its side, that's how thick it is, right? It's a massive, massive wall. Are you with me? Right? This is what the wall looked like in five, before 586 BC. However, because of Jerusalem's sin, because of their uh, turning away from God, rejection of God and prophet after prophet after prophet, word after word after word, calling Jerusalem back to the ways of God, the call of God upon their lives. They continue to reject Him. Eventually God hands them over to the Babylonians. And in 586, the first exile happened about 20 years before that, but in 586 BC, the walls of Jerusalem went from this, are you ready, Josh and Dylan? To that. And this, the city of Jerusalem, now looks like this. Yeah, more. This is a 12 metre. Why not? I've always wanted to do that. (laughs) I need you to understand, look at all the rubble. When you have a 12 metre by four to eight metre thing of rock, it's not a stratco fence. It's not a small thing. And when that got destroyed in 586 BC by the Babylonians, these houses now just covered in rubble. There is literally rubble everywhere. And so the Jewish people get exiled. They get taken back to Babylon And as they go back to Babylon, all of the the affluent and influential people in that city were taken away. There was a remnant that was left and their houses were destroyed as well. They had nothing. They had no hope. They had no security. They had no income. They had nothing. They were completely helpless and hopeless. And then around 100 years, 70 years after the first exile, Persia comes into power, King Cyrus the Great sends the exiles home. He says, you can now leave your exile, you can go back to Jerusalem. So there's a bunch of Jews who were now in Persia who returned to Jerusalem and this is what they returned to, right? Now, Nehemiah is picking up about about 100 years on from that first return. So a hundred years on, what we find with the, the picture of the Jews is that, yeah, they've rebuilt a temple, they've rebuilt some houses, right? but the rubble remains. Jerusalem's walls lies in ruin. And I want you to picture this. Do you see this? This is literally what it's looking like. But imagine a hundred and fifty, or a hundred years, 150 years, 170 years almost of rubble. 
Like have you ever seen, seen an old rock? They're not clean. There's dirt that's probably filled up. There's probably snakes and spiders. Like this thing is a mess. And so the Jews have returned, but for a hundred years, they've potted away and they've done their, their little work, but this is too overwhelming. You know, this is, this is too big, it's too hard. And then after a while, you're like, well, that's just our city. You just get used to it, don't you? You're like, well, that's, what it, that's, that's how it is. Like that, oh, that's what I've grown up with. You know, I've, it's just life. And so we become accustomed to the rubble. We, we, we put up with the rubble and this is the state of Jerusalem. And so where we've been is one day Nehemiah is in the citadel of Susa and he's praying and he's seeking God and, and he gets word from the people of Jerusalem. And he asks this question, he's like, tell me about Jerusalem. And the word comes back and says, the walls are in ruins and the people are living in great Shame. And so what does Nehemiah do? What did we learn week one? Nehemiah's response to hearing that this is the state of his homeland is he falls on his knees in prayer. That's Nehemiah on his knees in prayer. He falls on his knees, he prays, he seeks God. And as he seeks God, he gets a word from God. And the word from God is go and rebuild the ancient ruins. That the time of destruction, that time of the, the Jeremiah prophecy, the 70 year is over. That the, the favour of God is, is now back on His people. He wants to see His people restored. He goes, go and rebuild the ancient ruins. And so, so Nehemiah gets this word in his heart. And as he gets the word in his heart, he then gathers the people. Where's my people who are helping today? Come on up, you guys can come in here. Don't start building yet. You can, we're gathering the people, the people come over. So he gathers the people, right? And as he gathers the people, he starts off and, and initially he, he spends some time and he, and he walks around the ruins and he, he gets in his heart the reality of, of where they're at. Don't build yet. And as he gets that in his heart and he shares that reality with them, they catch this revelation of their condition and the, their fallen nature. And it's a picture of, of us. It's a picture of humanity and how broken we are. And then in getting that, he then speaks to their identity, we heard, that he declares that, no, you're not called to live in shame. That's not who you are. That's not what your nature should be anymore. You are children of God. God has redeemed you. And then we heard that he then brings a testimony. He actually declares the goodness of God. He declares the fact that as he prayed that God gave him a word and that word was that he has been released from Persia, that he has been ratified, that he's been given the stamp of approval and that he has been resourced he has been given timber. He's been given the tools of the kingdom to build. And so he shares that word with the people and the people get inspired. And this is a picture of us in the church. It's a picture of who we are in Christ, amen. This is what we looked at, that we have been released from the curse of sin and death, that we've been ratified, that we've been stamped with the Holy Spirit, marked in God, that we've been seated with Christ on high, that we're no longer just living and given over to shame and condemnation, but we've been lifted up in Christ, that we are a new creation in Him. And more than that, we are resourced. We've been given the Holy Spirit for a purpose. 
that the church has purpose, prophetic purpose, that we weren't saved to do nothing. We were saved to be seated with Christ on high so that we could go into all the world and make disciples of all nations, so that we would be the very hands and feet through which God would revive the ancient ruins. And that this is what we are called to, that the church has a mandate. And it's what we see in Nehemiah, this mandate that, hey, look what God has done. We're like five minutes in, I really feel like preaching this morning. But we have to get that in our hearts. We gotta understand who we are in Christ. When the Gospel catches you, it does something in you. We see at the end of chapter two, as Nehemiah shares the testimony of God's goodness with all the people, they say something. They get all fired up and they go, let us arise and build. Let us arise and build. But as you come to the end of chapter two, you see something, you see they're they're inspired by the testimony of God. They've caught this picture, they've caught a revelation of who He is and what He's done. And they're, they're ready to go And then all of a sudden you turn around and you look at the rubble and there's one really obvious question. Where do we start? How do we do this? There's so much rubble, there's so much history, there's so much brokenness. We're so few in number. How do we rebuild these ancient ruins. And then you see three people, Sanballat, Tobiah and Geshem. Where's Sanballat, Tobiah and Geshem? Are they there? Sanballat, Tobiah, there we go. These are our evil people. And these guys come along and even with the ruins, these people are sitting there going, Matt, can you hold that for us? And just taunt, taunt the people of Israel. (laughs) You see, they're like, you can't do this. You're not even... You're not even like, God's not with you. You can't make that happen. And they start taunting the people of Israel. And again, they come to bring discouragement. They come to bring uh, this, this negativity and say, well, it's, it's pointless. What you're doing is hopeless. And then we come to chapter two, verse 20. And this is where we're gonna start is how do we rebuild? Listen to this. The first thing of how we go from ruins to revival, chapter two, verse 20. I answer them. This is Nehemiah answering Tobias, Sambalat and Geshem. And he says, I answered them by saying, the God of heaven will give us success. We, His servants, will start rebuilding. The God of heaven will give us success. We, His servants, everyone say servants, will start rebuilding. And here's what we learn. The first thing, for the church to see revival in our nation, to see the ruins revived, to see the wall rebuilt, hope come to the, to the city of God, hope, the, the, the kingdom on earth as it is in heaven, the first step is simply this, stay faithful. The God of heaven will give us success. Not Nehemiah, It's not, wow, we've got a great leader and we've got timber. 
It's not, wow, look how many people we have and how strong we are. No, the God of heaven will give us success. So we, everyone say we, not me, we will start rebuilding and they start the work of building the wall. Off you go. That's the first thing. From ruins to revival, the first step is simply the step of faithfulness. Do you know, um, over the last four years for us as a church, there's been some ups and downs as we've looked at uh, the church planting into Lobethal, as we've looked at trying to purchase land, as we've, you guys have been with us, you know that story, you know, we've come and said, oh, we've got a really exciting opportunity. We feel like God's in this. And then a month later, we're like, actually God wasn't in that and that wasn't what He wanted for us. And it's gone over and over again. And I remember this one day I came home after another late meeting and I, uh, and I was probably a bit discouraged because it was a day where God had kind of closed the door. And I said to Joe as I came in, she could see I was discouraged. And I said, um, I, like basically, I'm just trying to put it in common language. Basically the door's shut and she looked at me, she could tell I was upset. And I said, what am I gonna do? What am I gonna do? Like, we need a home. What am I gonna do? You know what she said to me? She looked at me and goes, well, it's a good thing. It's not up to you, isn't it, mate? (laughs) Praise God for a godly wife. (laughs) And it was such a significant moment. It was such a turning point because I went from like carrying the weight of the world on my shoulders thinking, I have to rebuild this. Like I've got to make this happen. Even though theologically I knew the answers, but there was something in me going like, I gotta make this happen, right? And in that moment, I was like, oh, praise God. Like, she's right, I can't do it. And it's not up to me, it's up to Him. The God of heaven will give us success. And our job is simply to be faithful. Our job is simply to be servants. We, His servants, will build the wall. And in that moment, I was like, awesome. If God closes the door, He closes the door. If God opens the door, He opens the door. And it was in the months that, like the, literally the next couple of weeks when all of a sudden the stuff that's been going on with Kings and with Mount Barker just started coming to us. And it was like God said, it's not about you, mate. You're not gonna make it happen. I will make it happen in my timing when I'm good and ready and when you are in that posture of humility and servanthood. All I want you to do is stay faithful. That's it. Our job is to be faithful. His job is to be the provider. His job is to be the sustainer. His job is to rebuild the wall through the hands and feet of willing servants. Number one, let's be a people who stay faithful. Number two, the second thing we're gonna see in seeing the ruins restored is this, build it God's way. Go to chapter three with me. Go to chapter three. We're gonna just do a a real quick skim. This is one of those chapters that you just often ignore (laughs) because there's so much detail. Just let me read a few verses. Eliashib the high priest and his fellow priest went to work and rebuilt the sheep gate. 
They dedicated it and set its doors in place, building as far as the Tower of the Hundred, which they dedicated as far as the Tower of Hananel. The men of Jericho built the adjoining section and Zadkur, son of Imri, built next to them. The fish gate was rebuilt by the sons of Hassanah. They laid its beams and put its doors and its bolts and its bars in place. Merimoth, son of Uriah, the son of Hakoz, repaired the next section. And then next to him, Meshushalem, son of Berechiah, the son of Meshazabel, made repairs. And next to him, Zadok, son of Barna, also made repairs. And some of you have already fallen asleep. And the reason you've fallen asleep is because there's so much detail. And our tendency today, where we love a 60 second snippet, can be to skim over the detail. But the detail is there for a reason. There is not one word in the Word that is wasted. All of it means something. And chapter three is one of the most significant archaeological passages in all of literature to give a picture of proof of what Nehemiah did and what Jerusalem was. And we've got to understand that God is the God of detail. God is a God of order. And when He instructs us to do certain things, we are to obey and do it His way, not our way. That He's put things in there for a purpose. We need to be very, very careful not to say, nah, God, I don't really like your way. It's no longer socially acceptable. There's a better way, which is my way. So that's what I'm gonna do. If we start doing that, the walls will never be rebuilt. They're only gonna crumble. We do it His way. Come on, someone in the church. We build His way. Let me, can I, can I just go there? Let's talk relationships. You see, God has given us a particular pattern by which relationships should unfold, right? Let's talk, I've got young people here, so I'm gonna use the word intimacy. You know what I'm talking about. Intimacy, biblically, is to exist within marriage. And sometimes, especially in our current culture, we think, well, I don't wanna do it that way. I wanna do it my way. And I don't, it's old fashioned and outdated. So therefore, it doesn't matter. I'll do it this way. Uh, 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 we build God's way. The reason God says that intimacy is for marriage is because marriage is a picture of Christ and His church and it's a picture of faithfulness and fidelity. And He understands that the pleasure of intimacy is a foreshadowing of the pleasure that the church will have as it is wedded to Christ for all of eternity. Just a a poor foretaste of the joy of knowing Christ and being in Him. And also that that intimacy is this incredible, powerful gift that God has given that, that unites and that that to become one in not just flesh, but in soul and spirit. And there's a, it's a gift of God. And when that is taken out of that, that biblical model, what we see is destruction, what we see is pain, what we see is depravity. And if you look across the world today, you can see the fallout of a society not doing relationships God's way. It's not about Him controlling It's not about him being the fun police. I'm looking at some young people in the room. 
It's about Him knowing what is best for us so that the walls will be built and you will have a life of hope and peace and purpose. Let's do it God's way between a man and a woman is the call of God. And for us, sometimes it's confusing, like, Lord, but I wanna do it this way. This way is so much nicer. This way makes so much more sense. This way doesn't offend anybody. And he goes, yeah, 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 but it's not my way. And we don't have to always understand it, but we are called to obey it. And as we obey it, we walk in the blessing of it, to be a light in the world. There's so many other things we could talk about, but we gotta keep moving. Build God's way, not our way. Number three, how do we see the ruins revive? One, stay faithful. Two, build God's way. Number three, don't despise the rubble. Don't despise the rubble. Just pause for a moment. What are they building with? Lego. <laughs> what are they building metaphorically with? The rubble. They're building with what's there. Now, jump back into the text. Jump into the text. Let me just read again just a few verses and I want you to, I want you to pick up on something. Couple of, couple of key words here, right? So from verse one again, Eliashib the high priest and his fellow priests went to work and rebuilt. Everyone say rebuilt. The sheep gate. All right, go to verse three. The fish gate was rebuilt. Everyone say rebuilt by the sons of Hassanah. Then they put all its beams and stuff in place. Go to verse six. The Jeshunah gate was repaired. Everyone say repaired by Jehoiada, son of rada, rada, rada. Verse seven, next to them, repairs. Everyone say repairs were made by the men from Gibeon and Mizpah. And on and on it goes. I want you to see something. There are some things in our, in our life that need a total rebuild. Some of the gates from the walls of Jerusalem were completely destroyed. There's nothing left. So he needed resource to rebuild. And there are some things in our lives where there's, we've made choices, we've made mistakes, we've stuffed stuff up and there's consequences for sin, yeah? And sometimes the consequences for sin means that actually like we've got, to, we've got to move on from what that was and we deal with the fallout of that, but the grace of God is there to rebuild. That He actually says, hey, the past is the past. You are a new creation in Christ Jesus. And there are some times when it's just a total rebuild, a total renewal, a total, hey, that's, my, that's a part of my life, but this is now what I'm called to. I can't change what I've done. I can't change where I've been. I can't change that. But what I can do is change the future because God has given me the resource of heaven to move in the new calling that He's given me. Some things need to be rebuilt, but most things, as you look through this passage, most things are repaired. And the repair comes from the rubble. Or oh, I feel like preaching. The repair comes from the rubble. Don't despise the rubble. Sometimes we look at the rubble in our lives and we're ashamed of it. We feel guilty. We like, I don't wanna ever talk about that. I don't want anything to do with that. And God says, no, 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 no. Those, that rubble is gonna actually become the very fabric of your ministry in the future. 
It's gonna become a testimony that you declare about the goodness of God of who you were and who you have been made in Him. That I don't have to just push the past away and hide it. No, I just gladly say, look, that rock's super filthy, but it's now a part of the wall because it was rubble and by the grace of God, it has been repaired. Don't despise the rubble, let God into it. He is the master builder. He is the one who comes to clean. He is the one who comes to renew. He is the, com- the one who comes to restore. He is the rock of ages. He is the foundation stone. And so we build on Him and He is the one who takes what was and makes it new. Takes what was broken and makes it a blessing. That God would take our rubble and He would bring ministry, mission and vision to that place. We're not called to live in shame. We're not called to spend all our time just searching through the filth. No, we're called to gladly and boldly declare, look what the Lord has done. Look what the Lord has done in taking the old and making it new. All right, let's keep going. Last point. How do we go from ruins to revival? This is a long point. (laughs) Build what you can, where you can, with who you can, because you can. Build what you can, with who you can, uh, where you can, with who you can, because you can. Friends, this is a beautiful picture of the church. God's the one who builds the walls. God's the one who builds His kingdom. God's the one who builds the church, but He builds it through His people. Yeah? He actually calls us to be a part of His co-mission. We touched on this last week, that He's called us into His mission, not our mission, His mission. And He's looking for willing hands and willing feet. Build what you can, where you can, with who you can, because you can. Start with what you can. Nehemiah 3.8, watch this. Uzel, son of Hariah, one of the goldsmiths, repaired the next section. And Hananiah, one of the perfume makers, made repairs next to that. They restored Jerusalem as far as the broad wall. Uzel was a goldsmith, not a master builder. Hananiah was a perfume maker, not a master builder. But both of them built the wall. Everybody has a part to play. There are some people who are gifted and called, like the high priest, to rebuild the gates. There are some people who are called to translate the Bible into Pitanjara. I can't even say Pitanjara properly. properly. <laughs> right? There are some people called to do that. There are some people called to go into prisons and minister the gospel to inmates. There are other people who can make a killer biscuit. 
There are some people who are called to stand on platforms and preach the Word. Some people called to welcome people at a door. Some people to be presidents of local football clubs. Some people called to be teachers in schools. Some people, like we can go on and on. Everyone is different. Everyone has unique gifts. Everyone has different callings, but we are all called to build. Everybody has a part to play. Are you with me, church? Everybody has a part to play. We build what we can. We say, hey, here I am. Here I am. This is what I've got. It's yours. Everybody has a part to play. And just because you can't do what they can do doesn't mean that your, your offering is worthless or less. No, it's a part, that's the picture of the body of Christ. Everyone has a part to play. Dave and Lil can't do what they do without someone who has a gift of generosity. We all are called to build the wall, build what you can, build where you can. This is so, so cool. Watch this, quick scan. How you going, church? Quick scan. One of the things I love about this passage from verse 22, we read, the repairs, I want you to pick up on a pattern. Next to him were made by dot, dot, dot. Beyond them, uh, Benjamin and Hashab made repairs in front of their house. Next to them, Azariah, son of dot, dot, the son of dot, dot, made repairs beside his house. Next to him, made repaired, uh, repaired another section from the corner of so-and-so's house to the angle and the corner. Then this person worked opposite that angle and the tower projecting from the upper palace near the court of the guard next to him. And it goes on and on and on with people working outside their own house. Build where you can. Build where God has put you. Yes? Build where the Lord has put you. Here's, here's something that is concerning me within the church at the moment, especially post-COVID. Everyone feels a little bit tired. Everyone feels a little bit run down. And we've forgotten that we are called to mission, that we've been saved for a purpose. And we need to pick that purpose back up and realise, hey, 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 if you're a stay-at-home mum in this place, that's a part of your mission field. Build the kingdom right there. What is your house? Your house is your community. Your house is your local football club. Your house is your local school. Your house is your church. Your house is your family. Your house is where you are and who is around you. And the Lord would say to us today, hey, you don't have to worry about the whole four kilometres. What you have to do is offer your body as a living sacrifice right where you are. Imagine if our local sporting clubs had Christians, had the church actually going, hey, I'm a part of this, my kid's playing, I'm in. Whether that's coaching, whether that's sitting on a committee, the gospel influence starting to infiltrate local community. Are you with me? Imagine if schools had parents who said, hey, I'm in, I'm willing to serve. Whatever that looks like, I'm here to build the Kingdom of God. And we start to see the voice of God get into local schools and start influence decision-making. Within our vocation, within our jobs, wherever God has put us in the engineering, like, I don't know, medicine and gardening, whatever it might be. 
Imagine if we saw that as mission, we're like, hey, I am here not just to earn a paycheck, but to serve the living God. And as we start to do that, we see the walls starting to be built up. Look at this, look at this, look where we're getting. The wall's starting to be built up. Each person serving outside their own house, next to each other, next to one another. Build what you can, build where you can, and build with who you can. Who's God put with you? You see, we don't build in silos. This is the thing, we build together. Each person next to the other, next to the other, next to the other, right? These guys here, as they're building this wall, in order for it to become one wall, for it, in order for it to be level, in order for it to be strong, they have to care what the person next to them is doing, yes? It's no good me building something like 55 metres high and this person building something huge and the foundations are out. If the foundation's out, if the foundation's not aligned, then the wall will crumble. So we've got to be communicating and building together. Who's God put in your world? This is the picture and the beauty of the church. This is a part of our house. This is a part of the community that God has put us in. And there are so many people here so many people here who have a call of God on their lives to contribute to the kingdom of God. Do you know people? Do you talk to people? Do you come in, do you sit at the back and go? Or do you take a moment to say, hey, tell me your story. Tell me what's going on in your world. Let's build together because God has given us a mission. Band, you can come up and we're gonna close. And as we close, we're gonna leave. You guys, you've done an awesome job. Let's give these guys a massive round of applause and you guys can take a seat. Because the wall wasn't built in a day, it was built in 52 days. And they've done an incredible job, haven't they? <laughs> Building from the rubble. But here's the last thing. Here's the thing I want you to catch. And if there's one thing you catch today, let this be it. Build because you can. Verse 20. Another next to him, side by side. Baruch, son of Zabai, zealously repaired another section. Zealously repaired another section. Why did they put their hands to the task? Was it because Nehemiah had great relationship with them and just kept asking them and they felt coerced? Why did he zealously build the wall? It's the same reason why Adzi got up here and had a little emotional moment. It's the same reason why Adzi and Laura get here on their day off at 3.30 to set all of this up. It's the same reason why Sammy and Conrad are here every single 
Sunday morning at 7.30 to set up the chairs. And now I've started naming people and I'm in trouble because I need to name so many of you. But it's the same reason why we see people week after week after week, Mel Watts for almost seven years, setting up the table faithfully every single Sunday. It's the same reason why people go into prisons. It's the same reason why people translate the Bible. It's the same reason why people go cross-cultural mission. It's the same reason why people serve faithfully in in an eldership meeting or in a, a board meeting or a members meeting or it's the same reason why people have on their heart to go into schools and teach young people even though the the politics just keeps getting more and more it's the same reason it's because they can it's because of that good news message it's because we've caught a revelation of the gospel of Jesus Christ It's because I once was lost, but now I'm found. It's because in my brokenness, I have been restored. It's because they have moved from this place of religion to this place of a profound revelation of the love of God in Christ Jesus. And when we move from this religious thing that we do, and when you truly see Christ, even but a glimpse, of who He is and what He has done. When you just catch this tiny, tiny moment of it and it gets in here, everything changes. It's no longer that I I do stuff to please somebody or that that I put my hand up to do something for the Kingdom of God because I feel like I have to. No, it's because Christ's love compels me. It's what the Apostle says. He goes, Christ's love compels us. I have caught this picture of who Jesus is. I've caught a picture of what the walls are for. I've caught a picture of the Kingdom of Heaven and the fact that God would wanna use me, the fact that He would call little old me, the fact that He would call you, the fact that He says, hey, here's an invitation to be a part of my work that He has gifted and equipped me with equipped me with some skill to build something. What an honour, what a privilege, what a blessing. And here's the thing, when we build, when you build individually, when you put your hand to the Kingdom work, you're gonna get blessed, right? It's a part of how God works. You're gonna get blessed, but guess what? It's actually not for you. It's for the rest of the city. Like if one person shirks their responsibility, and we see this in in Nehemiah where there's just the nobles of Tekoa decide, no, we don't wanna build. And so the others have to build, double. But if one person, if one part of the body says, no, 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 I'm not, I don't have any part to play. I'm just gonna sit and watch one person. There's a gap in the wall. And the rest of the wall might look amazing and might be incredibly strong and might be totally rebuilt, but one gap, one weak point, what happens? The enemy comes in. 
But when we all say, hey God, here I am, send me. I've caught that revelation like Isaiah. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. And the train of His robe filled the temple. And I've caught this incredible revelation. And a part of that revelation is our reality. Like, oh my gosh, woe is me. I'm a man of unclean lips. And then He's made clean. He's given that stamp of approval. God says, no, 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 you're clean. And then His response in Isaiah 6 is, well, here I am, send me. Why? Because God said, you have to know because God said, you're clean. He saw the holiness of God and God said, you're clean. He's like, oh, send me, send me, whatever, whatever it is. If it's cleaning a barbecue, if it's serving the sea, if it, I don't know what it is, whatever it is, send me, Lord. Let me be a part of your kingdom plan. Let me be just one part of the people building this wall. Because I can. And church, as we go through Nehemiah, this is our hope. This is the great desire. And we're gonna stand and sing and close out in a moment. But this is the heart that there would be every single person here would catch a revelation of the because. Because I can. Because He's done it because He's given the promise, because He's set me free, use me. And that there would be an entire community of wall builders, not a single roster, empty or struggling, not a single community group going, where's a Christian voice? not a single colleague at work who hasn't heard the gospel in some way, shape or form. Not a single family left alone in difficult times because we have caught the revelation of who Jesus is and said, here I am, send me. I will build because I can because you made a way, amen. That's my prayer for our church. So let's stand to our feet. Thanks for listening to the Hills Baptist Podcast. If you'd like to partner with us in developing and equipping passionate disciples who love God, love people and boldly share the gospel, you can do that at hillsbaptist.com forward slash giving. We pray this message has empowered you to live and love more like Jesus. Have an amazing day.